got one man up and Jonathan Joseph comes straight through the middle. Got Mike Brown to beat as the last line of a defence and here goes Joseph. Joseph's going to get over. Watson goes on the outside. Oh, Watson goes Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gabriel and I'm joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan, Tom. Tom, how are you? Very well, mate. Yeah, just about recovering from uh, what was a very wet and windy uh, day out at uh, at Six Ways on, on Saturday, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Spirit's not um, nearly as dampened as uh, as I was, uh, quite literally. So, uh, yeah, um, very happy with that that result. And uh, um, what better way to spend a Valentine's weekend? With? <laughs> yeah, no, it did look like a, a wet one. Unfortunately, I didn't make it. I was going to ask you if you've uh, uh, dried off, but um, look, looks like you have just about dried off. Ready to talk about that crucial Bath Rugby victory at Six Ways. Um, 21 22 victory for the blue black and white also to come on this podcast we'll look ahead to the upcoming game against harlequins back at the wreck uh, no real news to touch on this weekend so uh, plenty of time to talk about these games in a lot of detail tom and just before we do how was the the match day experience at six ways probably the the conditions aside just just how did it compare to to the wreck match day experience well i've only been six ways once before and i think um you know we came out on the wrong end of the result on that particular occasion that was a couple of a couple of seasons ago in the premiership um, and i think you know certainly the weather had something to do with it but um it wasn't a particularly lively atmosphere um, but I, I actually think, you know, as a stadium as a whole, they, you know, dealt with conditions pretty well and it made for what was ultimately a fairly entertaining game. You know, obviously the artificial pitch meant mm. that, um, unlike if it had been at the wreck, some mm. of the players were getting <laughs> bogged down and, um, we actually saw some quite nice interplay both from, from Worcester, but also from, from Bath at, at times. But I think the wind did very much sort of drown any kind of, uh, atmosphere, um, out and the, I'm not sure the the turnout from the blue, black, and white faithful was probably as good um, as it would have been again in in, in better conditions. Just, just but, how um, bad were those conditions? It's quite difficult to tell, kind of watching it back uh, on the telly. Yeah. It's very difficult to 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 see how strong the the wind is, obviously, and also how strong the rain is. I guess it did have uh, an impact on the the pitch, but just how bad was it? Oh, I was again. I've I've watched the the full game back with you, and you don't really get much of a, a sense for how bad it was. Um, I was down at, at one end, and the posts were really visibly swaying about to you know to, to the extent that it it sort of draw it, it drew sort of oohs and ahs from the crowd because at, at points it looked like the post might even uh, mm. might even fall over it was really bad and it was blowing uh, kind of across into the corner but very much um with the blue black and white on the way and then again in the first half and then against us in that second half so it had a massive massive impact um, and it's interesting, actually, I was speaking to Roy McConaughey after the game, just a little name <laughs> drop in, uh, in early, friend of, the, friend of the podcast, Roy McConaughey. Um, and he was saying that actually the, the, you know, it was easier playing in the, in the wind, against the wind in, in some respects because it meant that um, those kicks, and there were a lot of kicks during the game, um, did sort of come back your way. And if the ball um, found grass in particular, which it often did with it, with it swirling around, it would often come back towards, mm. um, back towards you. And we saw... Um, various instances in that second half of us collecting that loose ball, McConaughey himself, Mercer, Tom Dunn, uh, collecting that ball, winning the, the sort of battle, uh, scrubbing around on the floor to get that ball. Um, and I think as a result, we, you know, that, that was kind of one of the reasons why that second half we saw sort of um, a much better performance, uh, despite, you know, being against what, 40, 45 mile hour wind. Yeah, yeah, it, it was surprising because certainly at half time, not being there, but you sort of telling me how strong the wind was in our favour in the first half, and yet we were trailing at half time. It kind of didn't really fill me with a great deal of hope. But it was weird in the fact that that we um, we played better against the wind, and it sometimes happens like that when when you're playing. I found that. You kind of when when you're using when you've got the wind in that first half, you don't really know how much you should be using it, and whether you should be kicking at all costs or trying to uh, hold on to the ball and at least try and play a little bit of rugby. And it kind of takes you away from what would be a, a reasonably standard game plan. So I guess when you're against the wind, you kind of keep it a little bit more simplistic as you would uh, under normal conditions. And then, as you say, when you are kicking, you can really go for it because. 
uh, it's always going to hold back and, and it's very rarely going to go too far and be straight out or, or the ball goes dead. I mean, we saw in the England-Scotland game at Murrayfield how, how the, the struggles England had in that second half when we were playing uh, with the wind and, and, and often kicking the ball straight out. So I guess it's it's strange that it, it would be um, kind of obvious that playing with the wind helps, but but it can also kind of work the other way, which is which is a bit odd. Yeah, and I think the kicking game in that second half was was much improved. Chris Cook in particular, mm. um, when he came on, he box kicked uh, really effectively actually. And you know the fact that we were able to control eighty percent of territory in that second half against the wind, I think is is testament to our, our game management and, and, and how we manage that kicking game. Whereas in the first half, you know, um, we kicked too much at times and um, it felt like it was the kind of wind where there wasn't sort of a consistent wind and sort of wind in one direction. So you couldn't really pin the opposition back in the corner. Um, it was sort of swirling around everywhere. So kind of no one knew, um, no one knew what was going mm. on, but really tough conditions. And watching it back, I think um, pretty impressed actually with how, how both teams dealt with it and, um, uh, you know, particularly those those big guys up front, how they dealt with the offloading, and um, I thought handling skills mm. p- pretty good actually. Yeah, yeah. So I think probably a good idea maybe to sort of work through this um, as chronologically as we can, um, kind of pick out moments we thought were important, uh, and in there drop in sort of player performances or or team um, performances or aspects of the team performance that that we thought were important, Tom. Um, but just going into the game, actually, just going back to the storm and and, and to give an idea of um, the kind of the 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 prospect you had of a good game going to to six ways on Valentine's Day weekend, the two lowest try scoring teams in Storm Dennis. I think one um, one bookmaker had the the total over under points. Uh, tally at 28.5 for, for both teams which kind of suggested um, that it wasn't going to be the most highest scoring of games and, and I nearly had a little look at the the under 24.5 given Bath's recent performances but but quite frankly thank thank God I didn't and and, and what a start for, for the blue black and white Tom you know Storm Dennis no problem uh, no menace for Bath and, and Zach Mercer oh, back yeah. straight in and playing a pivotal role yeah, I'm, I'm running out of superlatives for, for Zach Mercer and I think so much of that game hinged on you know midday on Friday when the teams were announced mm. and Zach Mercer's sort of um, suspected return you know he'd been he'd been training in the week and we knew he was close to to coming back but brilliant to see him come straight back into the number eight jersey uh, and he's just absolutely fantastic I feel like the team have a different energy when he's playing he's absolutely everywhere I mean it's the, the blue scrum cup Certainly helps him, but he just does everything so, so well. Um, and you're absolutely right. So 90 seconds in or whatever it was, a great break from, from Beno Urbano, who picked a really nice line and I thought was, again, a real carrying mm. threat uh, for, for Bath in, in that, front, that front eight. And then Zach Mercer, just showing incredible power in the pick and drive. And we've spoken about this before. He's, um, on a number of occasions, just shown that how effective he is in close quarters. And he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he just seems to have that kind of freakish strength uh, to overpower players. And, and you know, since he's been injured since November to come back with that intensity and to score uh, so early on and, and make, his, make his mark on the game. Uh, absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, he, he was just fantastic. Too. Yeah, a, a guy we've, we've really missed, which is, I don't know, strange to say when you've got Falatau, Underhill and Lowe all in your squad, but it... It's just the kind of, is it an intangible, the, the energy that he brings? I don't really know how to describe it. We just look a different team. We look a different forward pack, particularly when he's on the field. And he just carries, he seems to carry um, other guys along with him with that kind of um, that energy, which rubs off so well on on the other guys. And you say he he packed down at eight and he continued to pack down yeah. at eight, even when you know, Tao Lupe Falatel came on early on in the second half. So a real show of confidence there and uh, you know if only the an international team that he he he, um he could turn out for were lacking in number eight but uh i think that's for for another day but as you say a fantastic start from from zach mercer and um yeah kind of a a bath-esque error from worcester not dealing with the with with the kickoff they actually dropped the first two kickoffs of the game kind of highlighting just how bad those conditions were but yeah great to to get over the 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 try line and I kind of thought well this is it Gervin Dempsey's had two weeks off and um it's all gonna look fantastic Tom but it didn't really sort of 
continue in that manner and and for me just real lack of discipline in that in that first half particularly in those those the first 20 minutes I think it was four penalties conceded in the first 20 minutes and uh, and three in the first 10 minutes which allowed Worcester to kind of gain a foothold in the game and and, and territory was always going to be key on Saturday. That was clear given the conditions. You're not going to score from 70, 80 metres. You're going to have to score from from, from, from five metres out. And and territory therefore becomes key. And, and they allow they were they were allowed to get territory through our lack of discipline. And really going hard at the breakdown, it felt like Francois Lowe almost every breakdown was going in there, you know, players really trying to get their hands on the ball, make that impact, make that turnover. But it just boys slipping off their fleet and, and being on the wrong side kind of allowed Worcester to, to, to get back into the game. Yeah, I think a bit of a bit of over-eagerness. Mm. Um, you know, those four penalties, as you say, in the first quarter. Uh, poor kicking as well. You know, we didn't exit from that that, that kick-off particularly well following the, the Mercer try. And we just let Worcester sort of straight back into the game. And I think if we'd, um, you know, almost doubled up on that try and been right back down there with the wind... Um, kind of pounding on the line again. I think it would have been very, um, very difficult for Worcester to sort of see a way out of it because, mm. as I say, we started so sharply. But um, you know, as we've seen so many times, in an instant, suddenly the momentum um, sw- swings, um, and Worcester was straight back in it. A couple of well-taken penalties as well from from Duncan Weir, who um, you know we, we talk about Preeson dealing well with those conditions and being an experienced hand. Duncan Weir uh, as well, I thought did uh, did particularly well and and, and kicked tactically. Uh, very very well so like you say Worcester back in the game at, at 13-10 um, and suddenly they were playing all the rugby G and they were looking looking really good Ollie Lawrence at, at 13 is an absolute handful mm. um, I think we did we did really well to to contain to contain him as as much as we did um, and just you know on the front foot playing down in our R22 um, the other end of the ground where I was, where I was actually sitting. So um, doubly stressful to be honest, trying to work <laughs> out what was uh, what was going on. And to be honest, to come back to him, is that Mercer really keeping us in the game? Is uh, that because he's the only player you could see well, with, with his scrum? <laughs> honestly, yeah, he, he, he just does everything. You know, I, I just noted down he had a, he had a choke tackle when he held up the um, the Worcester player. Then he had a jackal at the breakdown, which isn't something you you see too often from him. Um, and then just you know, a half break from Worcester and who was it again who was um, sort of scything back through the line showing great pace to, to make a tackle but Mercer again so he he kept us in it and Worcester were playing nicely they could have scored a couple of tries there and mm. it could have been a you know very very different story yeah Duncan Weir was was really pulling the strings you say he was linking up really quite nicely with 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 young Ollie Lawrence someone we highlighted as a bit of a danger man on on, on our preview podcast Tom last week and it, he certainly showed. The, the threat that he poses running hard and fast uh, in that 13 channel. And it was, yeah, it was strange to kind of see how quickly we went off the boil after that really fast start. And as you say, Worcester were, were playing all the rugby and Bar's defence was just really passive, I felt like. And then just, just uh, you know, not only were there one-on-one missed tackles that were allowing them to, to get over the game line, but I just felt like we were letting them get quite easy metres through through the centres. Whenever they got the ball slightly uh, wider with, with sort of one or two passes into the centre, we were really e- really quick and eager to, to kind of back off and give them five or, or, or ten easy metres. And that allowed them to to play all that rugby in the first half and and when we did get the ball it was we're sort of caught in 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 two minds as to how much we should kick and and how um it, what sort of type of kick we, we we should go with and and just for example will chudley charge down on on sort of i think it was 21 minutes kind mm-hmm. of not really communicating he was going to kick, but kind of got the ball and thought that was the best option given he had the wind. And it kind of meant that we we, we, we really looked like we were on the ropes sort of in, in, in the middle part, particularly of that first half. And I think a, a really good side in much better conditions may have uh, scored one or two more tries and made it really difficult comeback for us. Yeah, but ultimately, you know, we did uh, weather the storm to, to pardon <laughs> the pun. And <laughs> half an hour in, you know, they'd... Uh, carried the ball four times as many times as us. They mm. had nearly three times as many meters, and the gain line success was um, was 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 twice as as good as ours in terms of in terms of those carries. So um, I think to keep the score at, at thirteen ten over mm. that period and going into into half time is is testament to our defence. And if there's one area I think that 
Um, we we are a, a, a real side to be reckoned with. That's in close quarters. Um, the pick and go uh, game from us going to the second half, as we'll, we'll talk about, was was really good. But also just that last line of defence, that last ditch, um, you know, tackling, um, sort of um, bunkering down by mm. our line and, and stopping the the opposition in, in, in round the fringes, I think, is very, very effective. I don't know if that's a, a Stuart Hooper, a, a Luke Charteris or, you know, a Neil Hatley, Craig Lilly, whoever it is. But that, that defence is working working really nicely. So um, to hold them out, um, and the crowd were getting behind them, mm. um, to hold them out in, in the way that we did was was brilliant. And then, as it always does, the momentum started to, to turn back to us. And towards the end of that first half, we suddenly found ourselves down in, in Worcester territory and with a couple of massive opportunities, mm. G, um, that I think, you know, obviously going to half-time, we, we really probably should have had the lead. Well, interesting to hear your, your thoughts on this, Tom, and kind of what you, you were thinking on the day and, and, and what you were are thinking now about the decision. And I think we got within sort of five metres out, 34 minutes, and, and the ever-eager Zach Mercer, which is, you know, his, his most outstanding trait, tap tapped and went from uh, from about five metres out, which ultimately led to Beno Urbano spilling the ball over the line. What were you thinking um, at the time of that decision? Were, were you backing him or were you, you, you considering the conditions and, and, and wanting us to take three? I think if that's anyone else but Zach Mercer, I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably there tearing my hair out. But I think he saw a, a bit of an opportunity. I think he tried to kind of fool the, the defence a bit. He had his back turned kind of had a quick look over his shoulder and, and then went, I think, uh, to try and sort of catch them sort of by, by surprise and, and unawares, um, uh, but, but didn't quite, quite work. But I think, you know, that's the sort of player that he is mm. and you need to allow a player of that ability and with that talent to, to play freely. And ultimately, we, you know, we got in a very, very good position. Ben Urbano, just a little bit too eager, mm. um, you know, should have just held the ball and, and, and placed because we were winning the battle of the... The gain line. We, you know, we were going forward, and I think um, we probably would have surged over with it with a couple more phases. So yeah, I think um, so because we got our uh, sorry, Tom. We got our other three tries from yeah. exactly that, and I think that was clearly where having success. You mentioned us bunkering down in defence, but also in attack, we were certainly winning the inches around yeah. around the breakdown. So I think yeah, f- fair enough, and I think based on what was to come with our with our other three tries, I, I, I think it was fair enough. Um, did the conditions worsen at all during that first half because it was 13 10 after about 10 20 minutes and then no more points in that second half and and both teams started to make you know quite a few errors just Tom Dunn for example throwing a, a not straight line out 37 minutes there was a couple of drop balls from Worcester did they get worse or or, or did the players um kind of I don't know. Was the ball getting wetter and therefore more slippery? The guy's hands getting wetter. Was it? Was it just um, kind of a lack of accuracy? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. You're definitely right. There was, you know, a couple of a couple of drop balls, as you say. Um, the the Tom Dunn overthrow in a very good position uh, down in the 22 as well. Francois Lowe very uncharacteristically just completely dropping the ball. It did look a bit of a, a bit of a bar of soap, to be honest. But I think you know when you think about the the tries early doors. Um, missed Worcester uh, kickoff return, which meant you know, um, and I think they were very much caught cold for that first try, and then a one-up tackle missed by missed by Bath uh, for the for the Cornell Dupree try. So um, I think it was you know a bit of a, a bit of a feeling out process to be honest towards that that end of the, the end of the first half. Neither side quite good enough to to take the opportunities, and I think you know, sort of last few minutes of that first half, both teams very ready to um, get the ball into mm. the stands and to go into go into the warmer changing rooms and kind of reset and come again. Mm. And so half-time, 13 points to 10, yeah. Tom. And, I, and I'll read a tweet that uh, you sent out uh, at Bath Rugby Plug on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you don't already follow us there, please do for, for all the latest gossip during the week. But um, this is what you said at, at half-time. Two massive opportunities missed before HT there for the blue, black and white. A three-point de- deficit thanks to some poor tackling and ill-discipline. Feels like a poor return with the wind in our favour. Hope to be proved wrong, but could be in for an uphill struggle here. Um, and frankly, the, f- the next 20 minutes which, which followed that, that, that tweet, Tom, kind of did prove you wrong, thankfully. Kind of what changed in the, in the first 20 minutes of the second half? We spoke about um, Bath kind of using 
the wind being against them quite effectively. But it, but we did look. That was certainly our, our, our most um, our most promising, our, our most inspired twenty minutes of the game. Why 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 was that? Can you put a finger on what what we did well in in, in that period? Well, I think maybe Stuart Hooper was um, refreshing Twitter um, and refreshing no. the Bath Rugby Plug Twitter account because. Um, by all accounts, gave gave the boys a, a bit of a roasting um, in the in the changing room. Probably more scared of Storm Dennis than Storm Stew. So um, <laughs> he, um, as as reported by Somerset Live, anyway, he was uh, uh, pretty cheesed off with uh, with exactly that. To be honest, with all that promise towards the end of the first half, with sucking up all the Worcester pressure um, prior to that, and to be three points three points down. Um, and I think you know we came out massively revitalised. Really confident as well, I think, because on paper, to be honest, with the with the Worcester injuries in particular out in that back line, and also when you look at the strength of the guys we had in the 15, but also, you know, the likes of Falatau waiting in the wings, you've got to be really, really confident. Mm. Um, and we and we, we came out and played some of the best rugby uh, this season, uh, I think. I mean, straight into that first 10, 15 minutes of the, of the second half, really good into play some... some Lovely offloading in in tough conditions. A fantastic um, round the back of round his back. Uh, yeah, round the back sort of offload by by Reese Preston to find Tom Homer. Um, we looked really quick. We looked we looked sharp. Um, and you know the conditions as bad as they were. And trust me, at halftime I was down at pitch side. You know, testing out the wind, trying to work out what was going on. Um, yeah, <laughs> pretty stressed to be honest. Um, having having gone all that way. Um, so yeah, absolutely brilliant. I think the the way the way we came out, um, and some guys in particular, Rocco Daguni, um, looking really sharp and, and really inspired. So mm. whatever Stuart Hooper said um, to or maybe at the the players in the in the dressing room at six ways, um, I think it certainly worked because we came out a different side. Yeah, and, and two tries in in that first period, Tom. And if we look at them kind of individually so the first one um, Bath kind of got into uh, close to, to the Worcester line got a penalty and Chudley on this occasion went for the tap and go and then kind of got almost pulled back by uh, Graham Kitchener the, the Worcester Warriors lock who dislodged the ball and, and, and Chudley then stumbled towards the line was kind of half getting tackled by by other Worcester uh, defenders and, and spilt the ball. Luckily for for Bath, it was came back and because Kitchener wasn't ten from from Chudley's quick tap. It, it was a yellow card and, and penalty to Bath. And just on that, Tom, I I can't really understand why that's not a penalty try. Uh, I don't think any of the um, Worcester defenders actually ever get back to the line and then come forward again. They're always scrambling back towards the line whilst making the tackle on Chudley. And Chudley took the quick tap, you know, five or six metres out. So I don't really know why that isn't a, a penalty try and a yellow card. It was clear that Kitchener's act dislodged the ball from Chudley. And, and, and if he hadn't done, I don't see how Chudley doesn't get over there. Yeah, it's, it's a tight one. I don't think that, that Christopher Ridley was really looking at the, the penalty try, to be honest. It, like, if you, you know, if you, you listen back to the, the TMO, he's very much focused on, um, on Graham Kitchener's actions and, and whether or not he actually made contact with Chudley in the ball. Um, I agree with you. I think, I'm not sure the, you know, the Worcester players, I think it was, was Ollie Lawrence and, and Ted Hill. I'm yeah. not sure if they were, they were back on the line. That said, Chudley then looks to kind of um, fumble the ball when he when he kind of after he's regained it. Um, he's also kind of heading towards the post, so so sort of sees that and steps out. So bit of a bit of a tight one. I could I can see your argument for the for the penalty try, mm. but but you know why not focus on the fact that we we actually scored mm. of our own accord um, <laughs> only a couple of couple of minutes later with the, with the Francois Lowe Francois Lowe try. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, did eventually score sort of two or three minutes later. So so kind of splitting hairs there. But um, when I was watching, I certainly kind of did feel a little bit like I hope that doesn't come back to bite yeah, us, especially sure. when when tries were were always going to be a little bit of a premium. So as we say, um, Francois Lowe crashed over thirteen points to seventeen. We led, and then I think probably the the the, the brightest. Passage and again, play. just before you do, another bit of uh, Mercer bingo from from <laughs> me. Um, and again, watching the Francois Lowe try, and I made this point to mm. you. The reason that Francois Lowe is able to carry on the momentum 
um, and sort of go over for that try is is Zach Mercer again. The pick and go doesn't get to the line, but makes sort of a yard or so behind the behind the Worcester offside line, and then turns quickly, presents the ball. Francois is right there. We're not seeing that really slow kind of battering of the door down like most sort of mm. forwards would would look to look to do on on a day like that. It's Mercer. It's in. It's dynamic. It's quick. Um, and and it's away, and I'm I'm starting to sound a bit like Will Greenwood, so I'll stop there, um, and I'll, I'll pass over I'll pass over to you. But um, Zach Mercer basically responsible for that. One, so. <laughs> no, I love the enthusiasm, mate. And yeah, Zach was outstanding, um, and I'm sure uh, you're going to make an, uh, many more points as we continue to to, to review this game, Tom. But yeah, low scored, uh, and then I think the brightest passage for Bath, and, mm. and a, a kind of break um from from sort of the halfway line and and this was when the the offload from from precinct happened i think you kind of almost downplayed it in your description earlier tom if you if you haven't checked this out it it might be a little bit difficult to do because it's probably not in it might not be in the extended highlight because it was a little bit before we actually eventually went on to score the try but i would urge you to go back to the full match replay and if you can't watch the full match just go to about the the sort of 50th we'll, t- we'll, t- we'll tweet the link in the time yeah okay we will we'll do that the link in the time and have a quick look it's just unnecessarily it's so outlandish good. if that goes to the ground it's <laughs> feels thinking we don't need to throw that just chuck it chuck it normally but um brilliant bit of off brilliant bit of skill from from precinct and you know um wayne pivak's clearly been watching um, <laughs> and likes what he sees there because uh rumor of uh of Priestland potentially being called mm. up g and then relaxing the 65 cup rule if damn bigger um, isn't set to to make a return next weekend. Reese's rule, that's what they should call it. But um, yeah, and 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 then it kind of comes back out and Reese Webb. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and and then it, it comes back out and uh, it's not a day for the wingers by by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. I think uh, when 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 you spoke to Roy McConnick yeah. at the end of the game, he he made that um quite clear. But but they're on there for a reason and that is for, for, for trying to create something out of nothing when they do get the ball in hand and another quiet day for, for both Rocco and for, for and for Rory and for Homer because it's just not a day for back three play but a fantastic uh, break from Rocco from the, about the 22 metre line mm-hmm. to the 5 metre line beating about four defenders acceleration yeah. pace stepping fantastic I'm sounding like Will Greenwood now <laughs> but yeah it, it, it was great and, uh, and, and held up um, Mercer again held up. Uh, I think we're held up twice before uh, McNally crashed over uh, to make it 13-22 on 58 minutes. And and it kind of capped off a a really good uh, 20 minutes for Bath after that that half time. And and ultimately, luckily, kind of got into an unassailable lead on the day. Yeah, so just two points just just on that Mm. little section there. So Rocco Daguni, you know, absolutely brilliant. And I think while we've said, you know, we've kind of charted Rocco de Guni, um, and we, we've kind of noticed that he's not quite been at his high-end sort of intensity and high-end pace that we've seen in, in seasons gone by. And I was, I was watching him at, at Six Ways G, and I think he, in particular, really benefits from those those artificial surfaces. I think what Rocco de Guni has, um, compared to basically every other rugby player in the country, is he can just beat people in a phone box. His mm. feet are incredible, and he's sort of one-metre acceleration and sort of turn is 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 in, is just fantastic, you know. The rec we've spoken about conditions at the rec a lot. They're not they're not brilliant. I don't think they really allow him to move in the same way that that he was on Saturday, um, because he was just he was just back to his best, beating men for for fun. And I think, um, yeah, a good day for him when he had when he had ball mm. in hand. Um, and the other thing, just coming back to um, one of the held up opportunities, and again another really nice moment that um, if it was Exeter or. Or even Bristol these days, you know, BT Sport would be absolutely all <laughs> over it. Um, and that was the, the yeah the second held up try, as I say, Zach Mercer going over another pick and go. Um, the, the, no TV angle to, uh, to to see if it's a try or not. Um, and Chris and Zach Mercer gets up from the floor and just turns to Chris Ridley and says, "Yeah, that was held up." And Chris Ridley's almost kind of surprised, like, "What what was that? What what did he say?" And he just says, "Yeah, it was it was held up, to be honest, sir." And he's like, "What the players told me." Um, let's get on with the game. Let's not have that sort of two or three minute waiting around in the cold um, and losing all our momentum. It's not going to be given. Um, great honesty from from Mercer. If you couldn't like him more, then uh, 
um, then yeah, we'll definitely watch that. Now we, we've reached peak uh, Tom rugby Cuts. analysis on this podcast. In, in that little speech, we had uh, the subtle dig at, at the Bath groundsman. We had Zach Mercer being lauded over, and the, and then the not so subtle dig at, at Bristol Bears. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you want to know anything about Tom's opinions on rugby, then just listen to that last thirty seconds, and you get a pretty good idea um, about that. Um, any other points uh, about that that uh, twenty minute period following for uh, following half time into the second half time? Or it just just looked so good. Mm. You know, it looked like we'd we'd come out, we'd put the game to bed. Um, nice to see McAnally go over. I think that's his first try for mm. in in Bath colours. So um, sort of reward for all the hard work he's he's put in over the season. Um, and then, gee, yeah, going into the last twenty minutes, thirteen twenty two. Um, you know, we've got the momentum. We seem to be playing really well. I've got all the territory against the winds. Um, and then all changes. And I think a key moment, actually, on, on sort of 58, 60 minutes is when Ben Urbano came off. Uh, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding on the day. And I, and I know you've spoken about how well you felt Mercer played, but I thought Benno was was almost just as good. He was absolutely fantastic in, in the scrummage. It was quite an even battle between him and uh, Nick Shonner, obviously both um, with England aspirations. Excuse me. And, and, and he did kind of get a scrum penalty there at a crucial point in the first half. But his carrying and his defence was, was absolutely outstanding. And the intensity he brings to that defensive line is key. He's one of those guys that, that, that kind of brings the, the line speed with him. And, and, you know, Lewis Boyce probably isn't quite there yet with his, with his loose play to the, to the level which Benno Urbano is. There's not many guys in the country that are, are at the level um, that Benno Urbano is at the moment. So um, when Boyce came on and, and also when Nixon came on, I think um, potentially we lost a little bit of intensity in defence and, and, and Worcester certainly kind of grew into the game. Uh, and not only that, Tom, we we started to do that that that, that thing which is... Um, marred our seasons recently and that's just compounding of errors uh, towards the end of the game um, so so just looking at it so so it went to 16-22 um, after a, a penalty that Mike Williams gave yeah. away so then from the um, from the kickoff after the after the, the, the after Duncan Weir got the uh, penalty, Reese Priestland gets it way too high. Yeah, the ball doesn't go ten, uh, so scrum on the halfway line, and then from that exact scrum penalty at the scrum, three errors in three passages of play for Bath, which has given not only three points away but also field position in the in, in, almost in our twenty-two, and and that was kind of the story of the last twenty minutes: us making countless error after error, and was the nearly oh so nearly oh, yeah. uh, taking advantage of it and it was the kicking that, that really frustrated mm. me because I think the Mike Williams penalty was was harsh you know you're always going to get a couple of um, harsh penalties that break down I think you know the referee was didn't give much credit at all um, in that area again scrum penalties um, you, you know you need to kind of allow for the fact that that, that might happen particularly on a day like that but for Priestland to um, you know a guy so experienced who's played in those conditions many, many times to kick the ball out on the full uh, mm. from the restart and then again mm. um, to, to kick it high from the 22 dropout that we had about five minutes later and for the ball essentially to come back um, towards the 22 and for the Worcester player to um, to gather it. Um, and ultimately it meant that we were really stretched out wide. They scored two phases later. Mm. Uh, you know, um, we had no cover out there really. Um, I think that was, you know, that was a big error and we conceded eight points in... Um, in fewer minutes, um, and and, and we missed uh, a penalty and the conversion in the process. So five points uh, down the drain there, and they mm. could have been four points up mm. going into that last that last ten minutes. And I'm not sure that we would have had the confidence or the bottle really to to be able to to be able to pull that back. It's it's just really disappointing from from Priestland those two kicks because you've just got to keep it low in in that instance, and particularly the the 22 meter dropout. You've just got to put your foot through it and keep it as low. Uh, as you can to, to to not let the wind take take yeah, he hold. He did do but, that after the try. But, he learned his lesson. Yeah, but but he 
But it's key, you know, it could, could so easily have cost us that game. And as you say, from that 22, it was literally two phases later. We can't realign and, and they score in the corner. And, and they've not looked like scoring. Neither, no team has looked like scoring out wide. And it's purely because of that. That error from Priestland means that we're, we're not set up structurally in the defensive line that we'd like to be. And, and, and they exploited it pretty nicely. But, but ultimately, so disappointingly from, from a Bath perspective. And 21-22, Tom, oh. with 10 minutes to go. It felt like a game which was which was only going one way at, at, at that point. Just just what did we do to to kind of stem the the warrior storm on this occasion? But then we yeah exactly we nearly we nearly pulled it back and, and mm. put the game to bed um, only a couple of couple of minutes after. It really was a roller coaster ride. Toby Falatau, um, who was on at six as as you mentioned earlier, picking up a loose ball and showing incredible pace that he has almost to to get the, the, the whole way there, offloading to a Mr. Offload himself, Jackson Willison, um, who for Worcester, in fact, mm. um, have I mentioned this, was a top <laughs> offloader in the league, the league. Um, a, couple of, a couple of seasons yeah. ago. Um, and Mr. Offload himself couldn't find that final offload to, to, to Rory McConaughey, um, who would have gone over for that fourth try bonus point and ultimately oh, probably, yeah. to, probably to seal the deal there. So, so, so close. But then again, an easy let out. We concede the scrum mm. penalty right down in their corner. And suddenly, you know, good touch finder from, from Duncan Weir. We're suddenly on the back foot again, having to defend in our own half. And mm. um, yeah, I mean, that game, I mean, from a Worcester perspective as well, that game, that last 15 minutes was, was very frustrating. And I think um, there is an element of, of luck as well as, as, well mm. as sort of judgment and mental fortitude that, that we've shown that that we came out just with a one-point margin. It, mm. it really could have been different. Yeah, and we even tried our very, very best. Well, yeah, we've not even got to the peak of yeah. this, <laughs> this roller coaster yet. Yeah, so so yeah, kind of bit of to and fro in in the sort of between seventy and seventy-five minutes. But um, when we win a, a scrum penalty, Tom, uh, in our own half with two minutes to go, and then win another penalty from that line out. Um, with one minute to go, down, with, with, with one minute to yeah. go, um, no, well, I'm talking about the last two or three minutes yeah, now, yeah. you know, Stuke taken out in the air oh, with yeah, one yeah. minute to go, you've got a, a penalty in the opposition's half. How do you lose the game from there? Go on, go on. just, just explain to the listeners how Bath tried their very, very best to, to kind of throw this one away. I think they got in a huddle, they thought, you know, all these good <laughs> rugby fans who've come, brave the storm and come to watch us, let's make, a, let's make a game out of this. Let's take it right down to the wire, to the final kick. So Reese Priestland gets the ball, turns around um, and kicks the ball out, basically sideways um, off that penalty. You know, I understand wanting to, to make sure it finds touch, but... Um, I think he sort of made four or five metres on that second second touch finder. Uh, then the ball um, goes loose from the line out. Um, a knock on, first knock on from Worcester. I am tearing my hair out in the stands at this point. The Worcester fans are starting to to believe. The scrum goes our way though, and I think you know we've just won a scrum penalty. Um, only a few minutes prior to that, Sam Nixon looks looks dangerous. Looks to be on top of his his opposite man. Our ball. Let's just get the ball off. The clock's, clock's in the red. red. Clock's red. <laughs> and then suddenly. The you know the you start to hear the beep 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 <laughs> of the scrum in reverse. We went right back on our haunches. Nearly Chris Cook nearly gets the ball out of, of from Zach Mercer's feet, and the penalty goes against us. And you know Duncan Weir had just nailed about ten minutes earlier a, a fifty meter touch finder, and it absolutely sailed over the post. So um, it shouldn't have been an issue for for long distance specialist Chris Pennell. Um, and when that ball went down, I think you know I just thought. Of all the the cock ups of the last few seasons, from a from a Bath rugby point of view, throwing it away late, I think this would potentially go right to the right to the top of the charts. It would have mm. been um, it would have been quite something. It would have been impressive um, <laughs> if we'd managed to to throw that away. And I think just having you know knowing the result now, um, and um, as a Bath rugby fan, I would just recommend going back and watching that last that last fifteen minutes. Um, and, and just enjoying the, the absolute comedy of, of errors from both sides, um, but ultimately knowing that somehow um, that <laughs> kick just shaved the left-hand post and, and, and we came out with, uh, with the one-point victory. Pivotally, the one-point the, the, the one victory, Tom. And you know, we've spoken about the, the last few weeks and, and how we've 
not probably been playing as well as we could have done, particularly in attack, but how we've been grinding out results against Sale, Leicester and Worcester now. And I think back to, to last season, and, and mm. this is something we really need to talk about because last season it was um, games against Saints, Quinns and Worcester. Quite yep. it, Sort of this stage of the season, it, you know, almost back to back they were and all three of them were close and all three of them went against us and all three of them on this year have gone for us, Tom. And I guess... To kind of, you know, to kind of cap this, the analysis of this game off, um, I'll, I'll ask you a question which we got asked on Twitter by uh, Tom Scriven at Bath Rugby Plug, as I say, and he just simply says, why do you think we're grinding out wins we just weren't last season? Why do you think? Well, like I say, I think, I think there's an element, an element of luck to it, mm. to be honest. Um, but I, I also, maybe this is naive, but I also think... We're starting to to win those those battles at key moments, and we're starting to you know we're starting to to get things right, um, you know to score three tries um, in conditions like that against you know particularly with our with our try scoring scoring record was was really impressive, and I I think if you compared you know you watch one game after the other the Quinns game and and the Worcester game on the Quinns game last season the Worcester game on Saturday I think you would see marked differences actually um, between just the cohesion of, of what we're doing particularly in attack we're starting to to pull something together and also just a togetherness really I think last season as I've said we had a lot of guys in there who um, frankly knew they weren't going to be there the, mm. the following season knew they didn't really have a future at the club um, you know the, the um, everything with Blackadder was was up in the air the, the press was sort of really and fans were getting against the club and I think that can't help but feed through to, to a player's mentality. Um, and it only takes one loss in that kind of environment to sow that seed of doubt. And then, you know, you lose another one of the bounce. You lose another one of the bounce. We've managed to get that Leicester game, I think, was all important because we've managed to mm. prove to ourselves um, that we can grind out a victory. Sale as well, managed mm. to prove that we can grind out a victory. And by the same token, that starts to breed a little bit of confidence within the squad. Um, we've had guys go away with England, both 20s and seniors, uh, come back with confidence. Um, that's got to be feeding through to Farley House. Stuart Hooper, we know, um, you know from speaking to people in the club, mm. how well respected, how good a leader he is. He's captain the club um, in a successful campaign, crucially, as well. Um, and I, I just think that we're, we're starting to build um, a, a, you know, um, a stronger mentality, um, a younger squad of players who are more committed um, uh, to, to the club because they know what it means for them um, in the long term um, and yeah I like what we're building yeah I would love to think Tom that this is Katie Warriner for example you know sports psychologist working at the club I would love to think that this is because the players are more confident because they've won one I would love to think that this is because it's Stuart Hooper and his fantastic leadership but I think there is so much that luck plays a part in stuff like this. And, and that isn't to say that, that we're not a good team this year. And that isn't to say we weren't a bad team last year. I think we're very actually quite similar to, to both seasons. Um, maybe we are showing a little not bit more. personnel-wise though. No, not no, but I think in terms of where we are in terms of the level up of our performance, I think it is quite similar. Yeah. I think maybe this season, because of that turnover in personnel to slightly more of a younger squad, it is more promising. But I think... <laughs> Part of being a, a sports fan and the hardest part about being a sports fan, I think, is, is just kind of you're always downplaying just how much of a role luck plays on all sports. And I think we sit here every week and, and, and loads of people sit in a pub or on a podcast or on telly or on the radio or on, or on column, inches of column uh, space in the newspaper. And they try to explain just why something has happened and try to predict what is going to happen based on, on what has just happened. But at the end of the day, luck plays such an important role in sport. And if one thing goes slightly the other way in almost all of these games, it just paints a whole different picture about how the fans view these players how the fans view view Stuart Hooper how the fans view the recruitment at the club and how the fans frankly feel on a Saturday night which is ultimately what the most important thing is about supporting a rugby club but 
just the importance of luck is quite difficult yeah. for, for sports fans to, to take in because we want to be able to explain stuff to ourselves and, and therefore predict stuff. But bounce of a ball, gust of a wind and, and Saturday and other weeks and last season's go for us and this season's maybe go against us. But um, I'm just so happy that, that this season luck uh, has tended to, to kind of be on our side. It seems to be going our way and you know, you're, 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 you're absolutely spot on. Luck is a massive part of it, bounce of a ball. And we, we're starting to to get that but I also think that momentum is important and I think if by luck by judgement whatever hmm. you can get that bounce of the ball um, and there are certain teams who do tend to do that more often than not and certain teams who um, tend to be um, always on the other side of a great comeback or other side of a, of a last minute um, def- or the last minute win sorry so I think if you can start to get that momentum and it, it seems like we are then you can build something even if um, you know, as you say, ultimately you do need that that luck of the draw mm. on, on match day. Mm. I mean, yeah, Ben Stokes doesn't dive in his bat in a certain way and England aren't world champions. You know, Nathan Lyon doesn't drop a ball uh, to run out Jack Leach and, and, and there's no Stokes miracular, miracle at Headingley. Yeah. You know, sport is littered with, with moments of luck which change completely how you feel about an individual and how you feel about a sports team. And, and luckily for Bath, this season, the last three weeks have gone our way. And I just hope now we can take that out of the game and, 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 and put in some performances which, which kind of, you know, we'd win no matter where the luck kind of kind of bounces. Yeah, and the result, the result dictates the narrative massively. Yeah. And I said, I said that last week and, um, you know, just those, those tiny victories, as you say, those tiny um, things that hang in the balance really determine how you feel. Um, and in particular, determine where we end up in, mm. in this league. And um, the real shame of the of the Saracens relegation that you know completely the right decision that the relegation itself. But the real shame is that a lot of the games now we're going to see for the rest of the season aren't really worth much. You know, London Irish um, hammering um, you know Quinns mm. who've been relatively unaffected by England have been um, on good form and have had top four aspirations hammering them at uh, the stoop. And no one is really reporting on that. No one really savours that in the same way that they would do if it was kind of, you know, what would have been a, a fantastic relegation battle. So um, I think now it's really important for, for Bath to, to look up the table. As I've mm. said, we've got these wins by hook or crook. It doesn't matter. Mm. But now we've got two games at home, G, with six wins from 10 in, in this league. Well, let- and we've got you know, a good opportunity now to, to look up and... Um, and you know we're in top four for 24 hours until um, <laughs> Northampton Saints failed to uh, um, you know failed to um, to keep a, a Bristol at bay who were obviously ravaged by internationals um, uh, and and we obviously slipped down into fifth place there so um, we're getting close yeah I think kind of a lot of Bath fans were were, were sort of echoing the the sentiments of Hugh Walker which got in, who got in touch with us on Twitter just saying fourth you know, how did that happen? And I think kind of looking at the table, a lot of Bath fans were surprised uh, to see uh, just just us in fourth position and us with six wins out of 10, which is, a, uh, the, you know, the third or fourth best win ratio in the league, well, better than Gloucester, better than Bristol. Only Exeter and Saracens um, have more wins than us with seven. Mm. And then it's us and Saints on six. Um, Saints sitting in second, but only by virtue of the fact that they've um, as, as you're going to say, they've got a lot more bonus points than us. So in terms of wins, um, yeah, we're, we're right up there. Well, that lack of bonus points, Tom, is, is, is yeah. absolutely killing us. And there were plenty of people pointing that out on Twitter after the game and, and, and kind of in the couple of in, in the day or so that has passed since. And, you know, we've spoken about the, the lack of um, the lack of potency and attack, not being able to get four tries, but also you know, at times when we've been beaten, I'm thinking Gloucester, I'm thinking Saracens, uh, we've been beaten quite handily and we've not really been in those games. And I think that potentially might uh, come back to really haunt us at the end of the season. But I think it is also important to point out that in a season which seems like it's been negativity after negativity after negativity around Bath, to have won six out of ten games, when when, when Rowan Ackerman's being painted as the Messiah winning four out of ten, <laughs> I think is important to and know... And out of Europe. Yeah, exactly. They're out of Europe, we're out of Europe. And, and I think those defeats, six defeats in Europe, kind of made it feel like we were almost losing every week. But in reality, in the Premiership, we've lost to, 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 to teams perhaps we shouldn't have lost to. But we've beaten Northampton Saints. We've beaten Exeter Chiefs. Yep. Um, 
and we've beaten Sale, who are all teams in and around that, that top four. So I think it is important to note that, that the Wasps maybe as a whole the season isn't looking um, as great as it could be because we lost those six in Europe in the Premiership, which is ultimately probably the most important, yeah. well, undoubtedly the most important competition for Bath this season. It hasn't been that bad, particularly if you're just looking at, at results. No, not at all. And, you know, one of those four losses was against... Um, as a cheating, it off, out, exactly. a cheating team, yeah, um, a, a team who who just weren't playing by the rules mm. and um, had brought back all their um, you know their international stars um, uh, who have been paid over the cap for that for that particular game. So um, you know, naught points from that. If we we got four points against a, an understrength series, um, then suddenly you know we're right up in 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 second or or third place. I think the point you make on on bonus points is is huge, and we mm. we spoke about this this last season. Um, you know, we struggled to to get bonus points then, but this season is kind of kind of all new levels. You know, we've got the worst record out of any team in terms of bonus points. There's only that one try bonus point, um, four try bonus point against London Irish. No uh, losing bonus points to to speak of. Um, and when you look at the you know the average team in the league has got four point six. Bonus points. Mm. Gloucester, um, who, as you say, have won four from six, but have seven bonus points. So as a result, we're only two points behind us. And you're absolutely right. In the final analysis of the season, um, we'll either look back and think, oh, we really needed to get those those couple of tight wins as we did. Otherwise, um, you know, we wouldn't have ended up um, as high as we did. Or we'll be looking up the table at, um, at, at, mm. at teams above us and think we really should have done better than that. And um, when you look back at that Worcester game, there were lots of opportunities. I think mm. I'm obviously really happy to get the victory, and that was the that was the most important thing. And if we'd gone for that fourth try right at the end, um, there, if, if if the game had come around that that way, um, I would have been I would have been pretty furious to be honest. But there were a lot of opportunities. Mm. You no, know, we spoke about those opportunities before the the first half, the Beno Urbano drop. Um, the offload that nearly went to McConaughey would have scored. Mm. Will Chudley that could have been a penalty try few instances there where if that goes away the game goes to bed uh, my hairline is in better tact my fingernails are longer and also you know we've got that extra point we start to get a bit of confidence in terms of in terms of scoring tries, particularly on the road where, uh, you know, as we spoke about, we struggled. Exciting times though, Tom. I feel like we are kind of edging towards going some, somewhere this season and, uh, and two games now, two more key games um, against Harlequins yeah. and Bristol but are absolutely pivotal. And we're going to talk about that Harlequins game in just a little minute on the podcast. Um, before we do, um, I think we've kind of capped off the, the Worcester win there, Tom. Have you got any other... Uh, points you want to make any other standout performers I think we've mentioned Abano uh, and, and Mercer quite a few times uh, anyone else you want to pick out or any other more general points before we just, part just before this finish one? on yeah. the Zach Mercer um, loving session um, so 24 carries hmm. uh, 12 <sighs> tackles didn't miss a tackle um, 56 metres gain 8 defenders beaten um, an offload um, obviously that, that single try and a couple of turnovers to speak of he topped the the, the scoring t- uh, the scoring tallies by so far and away in a lot of the major departments. You know, Tom Dunn, um, the second most prolific carrier with 14, 14 carries, 10 fewer than Zach Mercer. He was absolutely everywhere. And I think, obviously, we're really biased, G, don't get me wrong. But I think when I look at the young number eights around the country, um, I see, you know, a f- potentially a fitness aspect there. Um, with with Alex Dombran, I think that's what's holding him back at the moment. When I look at Sam Simmons, hasn't had game time in the last year and a half. When he has played for England, hasn't looked big enough to be a mm. um, to be an international number eight. Nathan Hughes um, won't even go there. Plays for Bristol. Um, <laughs> Zach Mercer has got to be the number one for me. Um, ben Earl, Jack Willis, again, they they've got to be up there as well. But I think Zach Mercer has to be given an opp- given an opportunity and. Um, I think he's a sort of player as well that Eddie Jones will see the work rate, see the um, just the, the fact that he wins those 50-50 balls, the fact that he can just do everything. He galvanises a team, and um, um, fingers crossed that um, you know I've got the, I've done the, the sort of Will Stewart effect again on Zach Mercer, and, um, and and we see him in England shirt soon. Yeah, to be fair, if Eddie's listening, then he can't not pick him after after the glowing review you've given him here. But I think that's a nice uh, way to cap off that that win against Worcester. Zach Mercer, undoubtedly the standout, and it's kind of great to to have him back in in a Bath shirt. Um, 
no real news, Tom, to, to speak of this week. This is kind of the section of the podcast um, when I put into the agenda um, all the news topics, which I want you to have a look at, um, but, but nothing for me to, to bore you with this week. And, uh, and I guess no transfer news, well, yeah. which probably isn't good news at this point. I think no news is news at this point, mm. to be honest. You know, we'd, I'd really, um, you know, where are we now? 17th of February, I'd really like to... Um, have seen something confirmed. You know, obviously the rumours circulating around guys coming into the club, Lazowski, uh, Spencer from from Saracens, and also you know the the guys that potentially will be leaving that we've we've spoken about as well. And you know, last season we didn't announce the that those guys leaving until what was it, sort of March, April, when um, inadvertently they um, they cocked up the Reese Priestland. Uh, um, release sort of releasing mm. that news, and then also um, sort of Dave Atwoods going to Bristol came out as well, and that was late in the season. Um, but I think you know we need to know where we're going next season. Mm. Uh, they must have had these discussions. That stuff must be um, nearly ready to to be to get across the line. And I'm just worried, G, that other clubs will be sort of getting in there, making their offers, and that we see these potentially really important, promising signings potentially uh, potentially go by mm. the wayside. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if it isn't going to be um, Lazowski and, and and Ben Spencer, which I think we're kind of talking about here, then you think it's probably going to be someone else. And, and whoever that is, these discussions need to be happening now and, and kind of need to be announced soon. So, yeah, still waiting with bated breath about that one. But as you say, no news probably is news and it probably isn't good news at this point. So, yeah, fingers crossed for some, some positive uh, stuff um, there or just sort of any news to kind of clear this up and, and, and we kind of then have a better idea, as you say, of what our squad will look like uh, going forward, Tom. Time to look ahead then to, to, to Quinn's at the wreck on Saturday. We're both going, um, which I absolutely cannot wait for. Fingers crossed it's not quite uh, as rough conditions as you experienced at Six Ways on Saturday, Tom, but I, I don't think it looks like great conditions. Uh, a side that we've played twice already this season, obviously both in Europe, uh, lost both times, which is always a, a positive sign going into <laughs> going into a, a, a game week. Both probably quite poor games, and, and given the the forecast, it might be another um, close uh, affair where where one or two tries, one or two key moments, uh, end up winning it and end up being pivotal. How do you see this game panning out? I think yeah. Firstly, I wouldn't read too much into the into the games in in Europe. I think we. We know we, we perform poorly and we also know that from an early stage we um, kind of wrote off our chances of, of qualifying and um, particularly in that second game yeah. at the wreck against Quinns, um, they put out a, a surprisingly strong team with a lot of their, um, a lot of their front liners and you know, we had um, we were really sort of letting the younger guys get out and get some, some game time experience. So not too, not too worried about that. Um, Quinn's an interesting one because they are like us, very, very up and down. And um, you know, I see a lot of people saying that they're not as affected as as they have been in previous years in terms of international duty. Um, obviously, with the Six Nations this weekend, and I think that's true. Obviously, likes of Rob Shaw, uh, Care, Marcus Smith, who's previously been been involved with with England. But I think you know the very core of their team obviously starts up front, and I do think that. Um, losing Marler and Carl Sinclair um, to England mm. does leave them them quite short up front. So um, against London Irish, who as I mentioned, they they lost to comfortably 15-29. Um, it was Santiago Botta, Loosehead, Joe Gray, who's obviously come from Saracens, um, has only just come into their their fold. Um, Elia Elia, I think, is um, pulled up injured, and then Will Collier. So that is a um, you know, a bit of a step down from from those two guys who are obviously out playing for for England, um, and then the rest of their pack. You know, it, it very much form dependent, really. I think Alex Dombrant can be um, a bit of a menace on on his day, and he's just the sort of player that will have an absolute field day um, against Bath. But I think, gee, they've they've got to be beatable up front, mm. um, and I think with you know some of the stuff we showed against Worcester, um, you know, battering them up front. Um, on the game line, round the fringes, and I think if we can sort of can continue to um, th- sort of that that game plan, that kind of style of play um, at the wreck, uh, where we played really well in what's not likely to be great conditions, 
you'd think that we'd, we'd stand mm. a good chance, wouldn't you? But you never know what you're going to get from either side, to be honest. They're, they're fairly fairly mercurial, both sides. Yeah, you'd, you do get the feeling we, we should have the edge in that front five, which is an area of strength for us and, and perhaps an area of weakness for them. We didn't see Charlie Ewells come back into the 23 against Worcester, which was slightly puzzling, but he may be back if he's not involved uh, in the England setup, so that will only bolster those ranks, and maybe not Stewart. Interesting to see what happens with Dunn, but I think we've got strength and depth now in the prop department, particularly. Um, so hopefully that is an area uh, we can exploit. But um, is it on BT this game? I think it is. Let me just check. If it is on BT, there I could put my house. Um, on on the fact that if there's a matchup of the forwards, it will be Alex Mercer. Dombrandt against Zach Mercer, and, and they'd be absolutely right yeah. to, to to pick that out because that just is a mouthwatering clash. You just um, had a little dig at Alex Dombrandt's fitness there and put Mercer way ahead of him in the pecking order. I, <laughs> through my from my blue, black and white tinted spectacles, would completely agree with you, mate, but I know there are plenty of people which would favour Dombrandt. So that is a mouthwatering prospect uh, and one which, you know, will... Um, you know, have a massive impact in, 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 in who who goes home with the spoils. I think Don Brandt is so influential to them, particularly in their their carrying game, allowing them to get over the gain line and and making meters kind of returning kicks is is what he does really well. And if we are wayward with our kicks, he 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 showed uh, in, in that game at the Wreck in in the Champions Cup just how much of a a dangerous counter attacking runner he can be. But I think Mercer is just a more uh, well rounded uh, number eight particularly in and around the breakdown, as you say. When he picks and goes, he often places really quickly, allowing forwards to, to come onto the ball. So an absolute mouth-watering prospect. And, and I think Mercer um, can easily get the better of that, and that will go a massive way in, in, in kind of dictating us hopefully winning this. Yeah, and I think Quinns are um, you know, very up and down, but I think have been mostly down in terms of their form on the road. Um, remember watching a, a feature... Um, I think with with Danny Care, um, sort of last season that that spoke about their really really poor away record in the league. I think they'd mm. only had um, one or two victories um, in sort of in in a couple of seasons. Only one victory from five on the road against the Wasps uh, so far this season. So I think again um, we need to get that sixteenth man of the um, you know what looks like going to be a really good crowd at, at the Wreck. Um, get off to a good start, get Zach Mercer winning that, that battle of the number eights, as you say, really get on top of them. Because we have seen as well with Quinns that they can fold when um, when a team starts putting some tries on them and playing well. Got absolutely hammered um, at the AJ Bell Stadium against Sale 48-10. So um, the walls can really come down um, all around them if we can you know, get off to a good start, bully them up front. Um, and let's just come on. Let's just get that four try bonus mm. point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's not just Don Brandt, is it for Quinns? Often for them, the the eight, nine, ten axis yep. it is really key. And I don't know if it would be care at scrum half or, or maybe Landajo, yep. who's played there. But but whoever it is, kind of Don Brandt, a another, and Marcus Smith are always pivotal when they yeah. when Quinns play well. It's often based on that. So um, a big day for for Mercer, and also um, I imagine it'll be Chudley and, uh, and Super. Reese Priestland unless he's he not pulling a, a Wales shirt on so um, yeah that is where the game's going to be won and, and I'm going to kick it off with a prediction Tom Bath in a close one I think I think your uh, your hairline's going to keep on going back and your fingernails are going to keep on going down on Saturday I think Bath in a close one uh, and weather dependent probably not getting the four tries uh, I'd go Bath by four oh, yeah I'm, I'm more optimistic than you do which, mm. which, which makes a change I think, as I say, I think we can we can win the battle up front. I think their attack, um, in terms of their backs, yes, they're very much centred around the the nine and ten, but it can look quite one dimensional. Um, whoever's in that centre, um, uh, that set those centre shirts, going to have a big job stopping Paul Lasique, who's a very very mm. powerful powerful runner. Um, equally out wide, we need to be all over Caden Murley and, and and Aaron Morris, who can be dangerous. But these guys, you know, these guys aren't experienced campaigners. Um, these are this isn't Rocket Gooney, you know, this mm, isn't this McConaughey. isn't Tom this isn't Tom Homer, this isn't McConaughey. They've not played at that kind of level, I don't think. So um I think at home, 
Um, I'm optimistic about this one. I think we're starting to build something, as I've said, ready again, um, but hoping not to be proved wrong. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm going to go Bath by 13 and all five points. <laughs> we just never learn, mate. As I've said to you so many times, it will be the um, the, the the hope that ends up killing us. But um, yeah, we'll continue to do so. And, and hopefully you do, uh, Bath fans, because uh, yeah, a crucial couple of weeks for the blue, black and white at oh, the wreck. Bristol next. Mm, Bristol next. <laughs> That's turning in uh, to a big one. Um, thank you very much for listening again. Um, please do get in touch with us across social media. Please do uh, rate the podcast, review the podcast, help us out in any way you possibly can um, by sharing it around, particularly with your friends. Um, really loving doing it this season and hopefully that's kind of translating into to you guys enjoying uh, listening to it. Just a quick shout out as well. Um, we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the mm. podcast, but do go to uh, have a look at Jill Martin's um, uh, great, uh, great cycle ride uh, going to all the the premiership grounds across the across england it is uh it, the link to her uh, gofundme page is in our um it is in our twitter account we'll probably tweet that out so go read all about that that great cause i think michael fatialofa yeah. out of a hospital and doing yep. really well and, and and jill's cycle ride to kind of raise money for for, for, for spinal uh, spinal injuries in, in rugby is a really great cause. So check that out and, and do give generously if you possibly can. Yeah, and it, I mean, brought it home going to six ways actually, mm. just, just lastly, because uh, obviously happening there against against Saracens and um, him being, you know, a very, very popular um, man at the club and, you know, his photo um, plastered up all around six ways and um, clearly people um, going out and supporting him um, both just by turning out and also sort of financially as well. So uh, kind of uh, nice to see the, the rugby community and mm. rugby clubs get behind someone, um, uh, get behind their, their injured players. And um, yeah, Jill's doing um, an absolutely incredible feat going around all those all those stadiums. So please, yeah, um, show your support, um, sort of retweet, share. Um, and yeah, if you can, can donate. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, enjoy the rugby, enjoy the Six Nations, but most importantly, enjoy the boys in blue, black and white and stick with them through thick and thin.